welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today we have a reverse diet FAQ. So I posted on Instagram uh, and gathered as many questions as I could. There was quite a few responses, which I was expecting because this is a really popular topic and a a very um, not only like confusing topic to a lot of people, but I would say misguided topic because there's so much information out there now based on reverse dieting. And the truth is, is that reverse dieting itself doesn't really have much, if any, literature on it at all. Uh, We have metabolic adaptation research. We have dieting and fat loss research. We have diet break research. We have refeed research. We have uh, hunger hormone research, whether we're talking about the metabolism itself or leptin and ghrelin, or we're talking about hormones that are influenced by uh, metabolic processes like thyroid, cortisol, testosterone, all these different things that uh, happen to be adapted or, or create or have differences uh, in them, adaptations occurring to them when we're going through a diet. Uh, and we kind of have to piece from all these things and determine what we believe is going on with reverse dieting and most importantly, what we see in the actual practice. But because of this, there is a lot of opinions on how reverse dieting should be done. So it can be misguided because there's a lot of people out there that just kind of talk from strictly experience or or biased beliefs without using the literature in the right way. So what I try to do is really understand the literature on all these surrounding topics that are directly correlated or influenced by or with, um, or I'm sorry, they're either influenced by reverse dieting or they directly influence reverse dieting. Um, but I try to take all that and then I make a better interpretation in, in uh, teaching curriculum or teaching guidance, quote unquote, on uh, what I think about reverse dieting and how I think it should be handled and done. So that's what I'm going to do today. Uh, reverse dieting is one of our most popular topics. So we'll link some of the content in the description of this podcast. We have a reverse dieting blog that is one of our, if not the most popular blog we've written. We have a reverse dieting podcast, which is one of the most popular podcasts we have. Uh, however, like I said, I'm glad to do this because I think I'm able to uh, touch on things again, just because things change over time. Um, and there's also the reverse dieting video on YouTube that we have, which is also one of our most popular, if not the most popular YouTube video we have as well. Um, so I know it's a popular topic and it's something that I'm going to revisit multiple times. And I wanted to do that today by doing an FAQ. So I gathered these questions and they're the most common questions. So frequently asked questions on reverse dieting based on you, the listeners, the audience from Instagram. And uh, we're going to dive right into it. So the first question is, how come some people lose body fat while reverse dieting? Does that defy the laws of thermodynamics and energy balance? So this is a multifaceted answer that I'm going to give you. But the reason people lose, well, let's answer the first, one, the second one first. Doesn't that defy the laws of thermodynamics and energy balance? Um, thermodynamics and energy balance are basically just calories in versus calories out, right? That's what we're talking about here. And when one looks at reverse dieting and losing body fat and listening to gurus online who don't understand the uh, scientific literature on metabolic adaptation and all these things that are happening, one would believe that it is defying the law of thermodynamics. But in fact, it's actually doing exactly what the law of thermodynamics and energy balance predicts. In fact, it's doing it so well that it is proving thermodynamics and energy balance to be quite literally the most true thing that we can relate into dieting. So thermodynamics and energy balance would tell us that if you eat more, you will gain more. If you eat less, you will lose 
more, right? So you it, you eat less, lose more, you're going into a deficit. You uh, eat more, you gain more because you're going into a surplus, right? So a lot of people, when reverse dieting started happening, started using headlines and content ideas, literally saying the key to losing fat is actually not to diet, it's actually to eat more food. So we need to kind of stroke the the stroke, the metabolic furnace is what they used to say. And then when reverse dieting started kind of becoming popular, it was essentially a way of getting you out of um, starvation mode, right? Like you're not eating enough. That's why you're not losing fat. Well, that's not really true. Um, you're not moving enough is really the answer there, right? Because, and this is why people lose fat when they reverse diet is because when they eat more, they move more. So it's this G-flux, this energy flux theory, which is this fluctuation of movement based on calorie intake. So energy flux is quite literally the idea of if we eat more food, we have more calories, which means we have more energy, which means we move more, which means we burn more, and therefore we lose weight. Or we're able to maintain on a higher calorie def- diet, which is exactly why people maintain weight and don't gain body fat as well as why they lose body fat. It's just the, uh, it's completely individual and it's based on how, uh, what's the right word here? Adaptable, I guess, uh, the person's metabolism really is, uh, and, and pliable, right? So, um, if somebody has a very adaptive metabolism, they might actually struggle to lose weight and they struggle to lose weight because when they go into a deficit, Metabolic adaptation kicks in a little bit quicker. The biggest component of metabolic adaptation, when we look at what is going on and what causes people to slowly stop losing weight after they go into a deficit, and why do we have to create a bigger deficit? If we already created a deficit, why is it that we have to keep creating a bigger deficit? Well, it's because we adapt. One of the ways we adapt is a way that we can control, and it's one of the biggest one, and it's just our net caloric expenditure. So this is multiplied into many factors, but the biggest one is NEAT. So your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So, so a lot of times when we go into a deficit, a lot of processes do slow down, some of which we cannot control, right? Um, growth of new cells, growth of tissues, uh, menstrual cycle, things like that. We can't control. It's just going to be something that happens with dieting, right? Um, Thermic effect food, we can kind of control. So some of the things that are directly related to energy expenditure would be uh, output in the gym, your NEAT, and your actual uh, thermic effect of food, TEF. TEF is a smaller proportion to NEAT, but we can control it a little bit by choosing more voluminous foods or high-fiber foods, higher-protein foods. So maybe when we go into a deficit, we increase protein. We choose more volume-based foods. We choose more um, whole food proteins instead of protein shakes. We choose less processed foods because more ultra-processed foods are, are process. So they're actually um, going to have a lower thermic effect of food. You're going to burn less calories eating them compared to whole foods that have a lot of fiber, have a lot of volume density to it. So we can do things like that. And if this is a fractional thing, you should do those because they're going to keep you more full. They're going to make sure you're getting nutrients. They have a lot of other benefits and it might help with this a little bit, but the big one is, is neat. So when you go into a deficit and you're taking in less food, the number one thing that is contributing to metabolic adaptation and the reason your body slows down its metabolism and causes you to not uh, lose weight consistently, this is why you plateau, is because you move less. So you fidget less when you talk, you blink less, you chew less, you walk less, you, everything. I mean, literally everything. You are taking less steps throughout the day, you stand less, you're just moving less. And a lot of people will be able to recall situations where like, for example, I use this example all the time with clients, but when I'm deep into a diet, when I'm in a deficit and it's starting to hit me, I I really can pinpoint certain things because for example, uh, playing with my daughter becomes more difficult. That's something I noticed right away because I'm crawling around and running around with her. When I get home, she knows dad's play, play mode. So 
it's time to go. And and I slow down. It's it's more difficult, and I can consciously be aware of that because she's needy in that realm, and I love it. But that that's an easy check for me, right? Like, don't slow down, dude. Um, the male, that's another one. I know for a fact that when I am deep into a deficit and metabolic adaptation starting to hit me, I just do not give a shit about getting the mail. The mail's down the street. I don't want to walk to get it. If I'm in a surplus or at maintenance, I'll go walk in the rain with an umbrella and take an extra lap around the block because I like moving. I like walking. I like getting space. I like breathing fresh air, uh, but I don't do that as much. I'm way more likely to go to the store and actually walk around grocery shopping if uh, I'm at maintenance or in a surplus compared to if I'm in a deficit. I will... 100% just go, hey, let's just order groceries online and pick them up because I want somebody to bring them out and I'll pay the extra five bucks. But these are signals for me. But the point is, is, is to answer this question specifically, how come some people lose body fat while reverse dieting? Well, the reason is because they move more uh, and that doesn't defy the laws of thermodynamics. It actually is the law of thermodynamics. They are eating more, therefore they're moving more. So their energy flux, their... Uh, uh, adaptable metabolism is actually really positive. It's really good. Now, in the reverse, this might be hard. So not in literally in the reverse diet, but in the uh, diet itself, when you're trying to lose fat, this might be bad because you might be more likely to stop moving just like you are more likely to start moving when you increase. So your your body is very in tune with its energy intake and its energy flux. And if you have a very adaptable energy flux, then this might cause you to move way less when you go into a deficit, which causes you to burn less calories, makes you plateau sooner and when you reverse, which means you just have to be really pay attention, track your steps as much as you can before. So when you go in deficit, you maintain those because you can control those or even increase them to make up for some of the things you can't control, like blinking or fidgeting or moving your hands while you talk. Um, and then in the reverse diet itself, a lot of times these people don't even have to be aware of it. And they're like, whoa, I don't know why I'm losing weight. We're eating more food, more food's the answer. And then they share that message and people are like, oh, I just need to eat more. And then they get fat and they're wondering why this happened. What happened? Because you don't have as pliable or adaptable of a metabolism as they did. So you have to be more meticulous with how you track things. Yes, you can eat more and lose more, but only if you move more, right? So eat more, move more to lose more is a thing. But that means when I increase calories, I have to add walking. I have to add cardio. I have to add something that is going to allow me to move more um, and push it harder in the gym, which we'll get to later in a question. But in general, that's why people are losing body fat is because they're moving more and it doesn't defy the laws. It actually contributes and improves the law of thermodynamics. All right. So question number two, reverse diet or recovery diet, post-show versus general fat loss. Uh, so Po recovery diet is for post-show and reverse diet is for general fat loss um, in general. Now, there's situations where somebody gets lean enough to where they need a recovery diet even if they're not doing a show. But the reason a recovery diet was created is because individuals were using a reverse diet in contexts that were not the best suited for a reverse diet. Reverse diet is a slower process and the goal is to increase calories slowly while maintaining as lean of a body composition as you possibly can. Um... Now, a recovery diet is actually the opposite at first, and then it gets to that. So the recovery diets, the goal there is to actually increase your calories rather quickly so that you can put on a few pounds of body fat in order to restore hormonal balance, and then you reverse diet slowly after you've already done so. And the reason they started doing this is because people were going into bikini physique bodybuilding competitions, and they were reverse dieting very slowly, and even if their calories would get up 
just as high, if not higher sometimes, than when they started the diet and they stayed lean, they weren't seeing a return in hormonal balance. So there was a lot of, this is what made reverse dieting so exciting at first was people would go through a bodybuilding show, reverse diet, and they would stay shredded, but now they're eating 500 carbs instead of 100 grams carbs. And people were like, holy shit, reverse dieting is the answer. Diet down, get as lean as you can, then increase calories really slowly over a long period of time so that you can maintain that leanness, but have a higher intake. But when they started examining the results over time, what they found was that the individuals that did it that way, even though they were very, very lean and stayed shredded, they didn't feel satiated from their diet. They still had hunger. They still had cravings, still had high stress levels, and they still had these reductions and drops in, in testosterone and thyroid and increases in cortisol. So it was almost as if it didn't matter that they were eating way more calories. It wasn't contributing to a positive benefit or to their health. And the reason is because their body fat levels were still so low. So this is why being as lean as a bodybuilder on stage is not sustainable. It's because a lot of hormonal balance and health is actually tied to the amount of body fat you have on your body. doesn't mean you need to be overweight because we know that that's just as unhealthy, if not more unhealthy. However, it means that there's a sustainable amount of leanness. General fat loss and people who are not stepping on stage typically are totally fine with a reverse diet because they're not getting so lean that their hormonal balance is negative. Sometimes individuals will suffer hormonal and metabolic adaptations that are negative from a fat loss phase, even if they're not getting on stage. However, um, they're, they're doing so and they're getting these adaptations, excuse me, because their calories end up so low. So if calories get really, really low towards the end, of course, you're going to see adaptations because you're having a low calorie intake. And part of health and hormonal balance is related to the, in ca uh, the calories and macros that you are intaking. So the food you consume is also going to contribute to this health and, and hormonal balance. But a big piece of it is also tied to, if not more greatly tied to, your body fat level stored in your body. So post-show recovery diet is the best move because that's what it was designed for. Get you shredded, do well your competition, recovery diet, bump calories up very quickly so you can put on at least a pound, if not a few pounds of body fat to restore hormonal balance. You will feel way better and that's when you know like, okay, I feel better, biofeedback has returned, now I can go into a reverse diet where I still bring up my calories because I still want to bring them up higher than they are right now, but I do it in a slow manner to try to stay as lean as possible and just put on muscle instead of putting on a bunch of extra body fat. If general fat loss has been your goal and you get really lean, but not so lean that you're shredded and having extremely bad biofeedback, I think the best move is to reverse diet slowly. Part of the reason you got lean, most likely, if you're not a physique athlete, meaning you're not stepping on stage, or you're not a recreational bodybuilder who does want to go through cuts and bulks and build muscle in the off season, cut at another season, if that's not you, then you probably should reverse diet slowly because you the whole goal was to get really lean so you could stay lean, not so you could gain weight afterwards, right? We want to sustain that lean physique. So the best thing for you to do is to cut, reach that cutting point, and then reverse diet slowly. We'll get into how slowly that should be here soon. Um, uh, and you should do so slowly so you maintain that lean physique. Uh, if your hormone balance never got really bad, then you're totally fine. Um, if you're hungry, you have cravings, you have stress, you have bad performance, all of those things are biofeedback indicators as well, but those are more greatly tied to uh, the diet itself, even sleep and stuff like that. The big ones that we see tied to directly body fat uh, on your body is going to be things like thyroid, estrogen, testosterone, things like that, like hormones itself. Um, we want a recovery diet if we need to restore those, and we want a re regular reverse diet that's a little bit slower if we're just trying to rever uh, restore performance and sleep and general stress while staying very lean with your physique. Next question is how quick or slow to go during a reverse diet? 
Um, I kind of just described that there without the timeline details uh, in that last question about the reverse diet or recovery diet. The leaner you get uh, and the more hormonal issues uh, that arise, which really only happens when somebody is overtraining um, and over dieting chronically dieting for a really long time or as an athlete who is specifically getting lean or overtraining for a specific sport. Um, and in those cases, as soon as the competition is done, you got to reverse diet very quickly, as quickly as possible. For somebody who is just looking for general fat loss, I think the duration and the speed at which you reverse diet should be primarily based on the psych- psychological state of the individual. And I say that because a big part of dieting in, in what is makes dieting hard. Also, what is restored when doing a diet break is the psychological burden and stress of dieting itself. After a while, it just gets tiring. You just get kind of burnt out of eating low calories, of tracking your macros, of dieting. Like that is a common thing. So a lot of times the reverse diet depends on that. If somebody is working with us and they get really lean and we only take three to four months to get there and they're totally fine, they're like, I'm motivated, I'm ready to do this. I got another three to four months in me then perfect. We can take a slow reverse diet. We can reverse diet for three to four months. And most likely if somebody tells me three, it's more like five to six because by the time we get to three months, their calories will be so much higher that their psychological state will be better than it was three months ago when we were at the end of the diet, right? And the fact that if we're able to do it slow, after three months, not only are they eating more and feeling better psychologically speaking, but they look better, right? They look just as good, but they're eating more food. That's exciting. and They want to do more. Now, if somebody diets for, uh, eight months and it's, it's been a very stressful process for them because they really had to dig and their body was stubborn. They had bad adherence. That's where we have to take a a faster approach to the reverse diet. Something to remember is that most likely during a reverse diet, you're going to gain the same amount of weight that you would, whether you go fast or slow. So if I do your reverse diet in three weeks versus three months, you might gain the same three pounds. The difference is, is gaining three pounds in three weeks is a lot harder to handle mentally than gaining three pounds in three months. Because gaining three pounds in three months means when you see the scale up, go up, you're seeing it go up at a fractional rate versus you step on the scale after a week and you're up a pound. That's a little bit of a harder pill to swallow than seeing it go up 0.2, which you can barely notice. You might not even notice, right? So, um, but the metabolism is metabolism and your caloric ceiling is your caloric ceiling. So when you finished your diet, your caloric ceiling is going to be based on the stress induced during the diet, your training, your activity, your hormones, your muscle mass, your fat, uh, body percent, uh, body fat percentage, all these kind of things, right? That's not necessarily going to change over the course of three months. Yes, you might be able to uh, adapt your metabolism slowly over that period of time because you might see NEAT go up and BMR go up. Those things go up. Uh, But for some people, it happens very quick. So there's really no right answer here. I think it ultimately boils down to the psychological state of the individual. It boils down to what their long-term goals are, how patient they are, and their adherence and consistency, really. And then ultimately, uh, how they're perceiving the whole process because Reverse diets can be difficult for people. So we need to factor in their personality type and how they handle things and how they handle stress and how they handle change. Those things play a big role in how quick or slow we should do during the reverse diet. Unless they're in a state that is unhealthy to their hormones, in that case, we're going to go quick regardless because we have to put the individual's health first. Um, But in general context, if I'm not thinking about individual needs, which is hard for me to do because I run a company called Tailored Coaching Method, um, I would say... Generally speaking, if somebody just attacked general fat loss and wants to stay lean, we go pretty slow. Um, And that's going to be at least 0.5, but upwards of 1.5 times the amount of time they dieted. Probably not, though. 
unless you go beyond the ceiling. So I would say usually it's about half to uh, a full. So 0.5 to one times the amount of time you dieted, which means if you dieted for six months, that is three to six months of reverse dieting. Uh, the only time it can be 1.5, where I say like nine months, is if we reach your uh, new or old maintenance and we're like, holy shit, we can keep pushing this because your metabolism is very adaptive. You're, uh, you're adding volume because you're getting more into training. Like all these things are improving. So let's keep going. And we end up being able to push their calories up way further than we expected. That might linger on. But at that point, you're not even in a reverse diet. You're almost in like a lean gaining phase. Um, and then on the, the reverse side, how slow should it be if somebody is not in a good place and they did get extremely lean and they need to reverse quickly to restore hormonal balance? For those individuals, I would probably say um, you make an immediate jump of their calories of about 15 to 25% right out the gates. And then after that, we're making small incremental changes anywhere between 3 to 10%, depending on the individual and their total intake and, uh, and where they're at in the reverse diet process. But it's immediately. So if you have a, a competition or a show on Saturday, that means by Monday, you're already increasing your calories because you need to get out of the deficit ASAP. Hey guys, I want to take a quick second to shout out the sponsor of this podcast, which is myself. It's my own app, The Tailored Trainer, which is the simple solution to actually looking like you lift. My goal with The Tailored Trainer was to do just that. I had countless amount of people coming into our coaching to get nutrition guidance from us and they needed training help as well. And I was tired of hearing people tell me, I don't look like I lift. I'm in the gym hours every week. I'm training hard. I'm pushing myself. I'm sweating my ass off, but I don't look like I work out. What is the deal? And the deal is simple. There isn't a periodized plan backing up the effort they are putting in the gym. They don't have progressive overload methods and metrics and measurements inside their programming that are going to guide them to the result they're after, which is why I wanted to create an app that did that for you. Not only does it have actually systemized programs that are effective for your goal, for your schedule, for your body type, and for your experience, because there are tons of programs in there. That's why it's called the tailored trainer, because you can literally tailor your training to your lifestyle and your schedule and your experience level. But it's also going to have the software and the metrics inside to make sure that it's progressive and periodized without you even realizing it. You don't have to do anything, and it is programmed properly to get you to progress, which is why I always tell people, stop aimlessly working out using influencers' Instagram posts and YouTube videos as your plan. Start actually tailoring the training process to you, and you can do that by downloading this app. It's less than $1 a day, and you can head over to tailoredtrainer.net to read more about it, see screenshots of the app live itself, see reviews from some of the people using it, and see a personal letter from myself as to why I created this app in the first place. So once again, head over to tailoredtrainer.net. Now, let's get back into the podcast. Next question. How big of an increase in calories should you attempt when reverse dieting? So the this is again related to the last question that first bump depends on how slow we're going so this is going to be a quick and easy one to answer the if you're in a recovery diet situation where we do need to restore hormonal balance maybe you did a show maybe you just took things to the extreme for a photo shoot or just because you felt like it which is great i mean physique building and development can be a sport of in of itself and i've done it many times where i've gotten past the point of what's sustainable just for the sake of doing it and proving to myself i could in those situations, um, that big increase, like I said, is going to be about 15 to 25% of calories via carbohydrates or fat, mainly carbohydrates. So in a perfect world, you don't bring your fats down so low during the diet that you need to add a lot of fats to the diet, um, maybe just a little bit so that the bulk of that first initial kick up is going to be carbohydrates. It also adds a lot of volume to the diet. And then last but not least, um, if you need to, 
add protein. The only time I do this is if somebody comes to us for reverse dieting. If I've, if I've taken somebody through a diet and then I'm going to start the reverse, I don't need to do this because I already increased their protein during the deficit. But there's, there's, it's very, very difficult for your body to store protein as fat. And you can consume a lot of protein. It can get used and it's very filling. So sometimes we can push that 25% to 25, like all the way to that 25% and 5% of it is a protein increase, right? Or if somebody comes to me and they're afraid to reverse, they're chronic dieting, they need to lose weight, but I know they need more calories, I might make a 5 to 10 percent jump first but only do it via protein just to show them like hey you can consume more calories not store fat don't worry because they needed more protein in their diet anyway and then from there it gives me the buy-in from the individual to start playing with carbs and fats a little bit but point being typically it's 15 to 25 percent uh, for recovery diet and then for a reverse diet it's it's it, i would say five to ten percent um but I typically don't go off of percentages in this situation. I typically go off of grams per, uh, of carbs or fats. So if an individual went through a full diet with me, um, that first adjustment is probably going to be, you know, if they need fats in their diet too, I'll start with five grams. I don't like going over that in a single adjustment unless I absolutely have to. Um, and typically I don't like to bring their fats down so low that I need to add more than 10 to 15 grams of fat during a reverse diet. I'd rather spend most of the time doing carbs. Perfect world is, is you dial in your protein and fats where it needs to be and you use carbs as the dial going up and down to create the deficit or go back into a surplus. Um, and that's going to have the biggest effect on thermodynamics, energy and output, like work in the gym, eat and all those things anyway, because carbs are fuel. So uh, for a reverse diet situation, the increase is probably going to be smaller. Uh, it's probably going to be about 5%, maybe 10%, but I typically do grams because it's just more individualized that way. And this might be adding 15 grams of carbs and five grams of fat. And then again, 15 grams of carbs, five grams of fat the ne for the next adjustment. And then maybe I reach my fat goal and then I'm staying in that like 10 to 20 grams of carbs range every one to three weeks. Um, and the reason for that slow process is, is because I'd rather do it slow so that they stay lean. Um, no, it's not going to help you be satiated quickly. No, it's not going to see this like magic reversal of hormonal imbalance. But if you did the diet properly and you didn't get so shredded that you need to worry about that, then this is perfect because it's just going to consistently fuel your performance better and it's going to give you a little more food. As long as you can psychologically handle it, then it's going to be the best way to stay lean after a diet. Next question is when reverse dieting, when should you make the adjustments uh, and how long between adjustments? So uh, what I just said is kind of like breaks that down, but the first adjustment should always be right after the diet. So if we finish the diet again on a Friday, then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whatever, like within the first few days of finishing the diet or, or finishing the event or whatever it is, we're going to start that process. When I have a client just going through a general fat loss phase, I will typically take them to the point of where their goal is. And if they feel good, I'll let them sustain that for a week or two. And then I'll start adjusting. Um, if we get them to the end point and they're starting to really need a reverse diet, then I'm going to start reversing right away like I would with a recovery diet, which is a smaller initial adjustment. Um, but essentially the more severe or more uh, critical it is for you to reverse calories up, the sooner you should do it post-diet. Um, if somebody is not getting shredded, there's reason to suggest like, hey, we don't have to rush into this. You got there. Let's make sure you can adhere. Let's make sure the weight, the scale stays down for a week or two, and then let's go into the adjustment, kind of reset that body fat set point. Um, it, there's not a lot of research on that. It's just what I personally have done in my experience as a coach. Um, and then... How long between adjustments is usually one to three weeks is, is the typical nature. But I've even had people, I make an adjustment after four to five weeks when I get to the tail end of a reverse because I, I adjust their calories and then their weight kind of stays put, goes up a pound, down a pound, up, and it stays there and they feel good, they're full. I'm like, let's just sit here for a little bit. 
you know, I want you to adapt to it. I want you to get used to it. And then we'll, we'll play with it. And then sometimes it's three, four, five weeks later. I'm like, Hey, we're going to bump up 10 grams carbs because we can, you know, we do it every once in a while slowly just because why not give them a little more food? It's long enough. Their body's going to adapt to it. Um, and it's easy and it works. Right. The other situation would be if, if I make adjustments and maybe I want to make another adjustment, but I don't think the person's mentally ready to do it because they're not adhering well enough, meaning I've been reversing them, but they're failing to consistently hit the higher numbers because they're afraid to eat more food. I'm not going to just keep cranking up calories because it just uh, exacerbates that fear of eating more. I'm going to keep them where they're at, even if I don't want to from a physiological perspective. And I'm going to work on the psychology behind this with them. I'm going to talk to them more about eating more. I'm going to talk to them more about treating their body the way it needs to be treated. I'm going to talk to them more and educate them more on the science of what we're doing here right now. Um, and the mental side of things, right? So that they can get that buy-in, they can feel, you know, educated and have clarity and, and really feel um, feel ready and, and like they trust the process. And then and then I'll make that adjustment. So it kind of it kind of depends, but. Um, typically when you should make adjustments, the first adjustment should be made basically right after or within the first few days or few weeks, depending on the person of the diet ending. And then how often you should make those adjustments during the reverse diet is going to come down to, uh, really how their body adjusts. So every one to three weeks is typical. It might be longer. Um, and you base this off of what their weight does. So a lot of times for me, it's, it, I'm going to adjust your calories. If your weight goes up a pound, I'm going to wait another week. If it comes back down to where it was, now I'm going to add calories. And that would have been two weeks. If I add calories and then you check in next week and your weight's down a pound or it maintained perfectly and it was like bouncing between a pound less and, and the current weight, then I know you're either at worst, you're neutral and you're sustaining your weight, but there's been a few days where you actually weighed in lower. I'm going to adjust after a week. So I'm going to bump it up again. Um, if, you're, if your weight goes up a pound and then it stays there and then it drops back down after two weeks, I'll wait till the third week. So really what we're kind of doing here is kind of adjusting based on what their weight does. But if I adjust up their weight gains and it hits week three and I haven't adjusted again because that pound didn't go away, but they look good. They feel good. Everything's fine. I'm still going to adjust because we still have the goal of reversing calories up. And we know that carbohydrates are going to store water. So if I'm adjusting carbs, we might be pulling in more water. There might be more food in the gut. Um, maybe you're even building muscle because a lot of times you can build muscle during reverse diet, which I'm going to get to towards the end, uh, because you're intaking more calories, which means output in the gym is going to be better. If your outputs in the gym is better, you're probably doing more load or more reps or sets, which means more volume, which means more growth. So it really depends. Uh, one to three weeks is a general answer. And then more specifically, I'm basing it on what their weight fluctuations do and how their body adapts to the reverse diet itself is 100 to 200 calories enough for the first increase after a deficit um it all depends on the person uh for some people yes i, I think i kind of covered this one in a previous question but for the most part it, it really comes down to um how was the person feeling at the end of the diet and uh how quickly do i feel like i need to reverse them if somebody just did a, a show and their hormones are smashed no it's probably not enough uh, if somebody did a, a full diet and they lost weight, but they're happy, they're healthy, their performance is good, it's time to reverse, but they're patient, yeah, 100 to 200 calories is, is enough because you're going to go slow. You're not trying to restore any hormonal balance here. You're just trying to increase their calories slowly over time and allow them to sustain that weight. So um, the answer is yes sometimes. The answer is no other times. How should you exercise during a reverse diet? Should you adjust it as you increase calories? This is a great question that I don't think enough people consider or talk about. In fact, I think this is the problem with uh, a lot of nutrition coaching companies not having any good resources for training. All of the coaches at Tailored Coaching Method are tra certified trainers and strength coaches as well. So not only do they have a ton of information and knowledge 
to educate their clients on what they should be doing with their training, they can actually program for them. So whether our clients are training with us one-on-one or they're using the app, which is, in my opinion, just as good because unless you have specific needs and, and you really need to dial in or, and I, I have to be honest, I'm guilty of this. I love it when people program for me because it's just, it feels custom to me and everything's dialed in. It's obviously more expensive, but um, either way, we can we can show you what you should be doing in the app or with your programming that we write in order to facilitate the best training program per, uh, to match up with the reverse diet, to align with the reverse diet. So how you should exercise during reverse diet, um, I would love to say exactly how you were training before with just added intensity and volume. However, if you weren't doing strength training, I would say that's probably not the right answer because I don't think you should continue doing circuit training and increase calories up. I think you should be lifting weights. So assuming you're strength training, which I think that is the best, doing um, anywhere between three to six days of strength training and anywhere between zero to three days of conditioning because obviously if you're doing six days a week of training, probably shouldn't be doing a lot of conditioning as well unless you were doing cardio during the phallus phase, which should be part of the reverse process, which nobody asked about in these questions, surprisingly. So maybe I'll fill that at the end, um, how to reverse cardio. But, um, which that's really surprising because that's a really good question. Uh, But I think during a reverse diet, Number one, you should be looking at ways that you can maximize your work capacity. Uh, and the reason I say that is because if you can increase your work dense, workout density and uh, your work capacity, you're essentially creating an increase in volume and or intensity. I mean, technically, if you increase intensity load, you're increasing volume. So if you keep your volume the same and increase intensity, you actually end up increasing volume as well. So either way. But the point is, is you want to increase what you can get done the hour. I, I always say that first because I don't want to assume that everybody can add training days. So if I'm like, oh, you're starting to reverse now. Now I want you to go to the gym six days a week instead of four. If that doesn't work for your lifestyle, then that's pointless advice. So instead, I think everybody should be focused on their work capacity. Work capacity is the idea of I have four days in the week, uh, a week in the gym. When I finished my diet, this is how much I was getting done. This is how much I was lifting. This is how much volume I was doing in those four days given that time period. When you start reverse dieting, you're having more calories. So what you should be trying to do is shortening your rest periods because, um, and I don't say that, I, I say that with caution. I don't say that to uh, an indefinite manner. And the reason I caution this is because if you're taking two to four minutes break in your compound lifts at the end of your diet, you probably should continue that because that's going to allow you to increase load. If you shorten periods too much, rest periods too much, you're not going to be able to increase your load, which is part of progressive overload and increasing volume, which is what we want to do right here. However, there's a lot of times where at the end of the diet, we're just fatigued. We're just tired from the diet. And therefore, we're taking longer. We're lollygagging. We're taking time in between sets. We're making that two to four minutes more like three to five minutes. We're taking two to three minutes between accessories when it should be one to two. Like just those little bits, right? You're trying to shorten the windows, which is going to allow you to go, hey, instead of doing three rounds here, I'm going to do four sets. Instead of doing, uh, you know, I have this AMRAP at the end of this session or this EDT at the end of this this session and it's eight minutes long, I'm going to make it 10. I'm going to get a few more rounds in because you have that extra time. That's what I would try to do first. Look at the days of week you're already lifting and see where you can increase your work capacity, which essentially means increasing volume and intensity within the parameters of time you already have. Then from there, if you can add volume by adding a fifth or sixth day, that's probably where I would go. The reason I would do this is because when we're taking in calories, we want to utilize those calories. So the best way to be a quote-unquote hyper-responder, which is the idea of reverse dieting, but either losing body fat or building muscle or both recomping, is to train harder, train more, use more volume, and get more out of your body with the calories you're taking in. And that's going to increase your caloric ceiling, which means that you could probably reverse diet further than you, you had before. So a good way to 
train or exercise during reverse diet is obviously strength training. And the way to adjust it as you increase calories is basically adding volume as you increase calories. So that first increase, you're just going, okay, uh, can I take a little bit shorter rest periods, right? And then that next increase in calories, like, hey, can I add a set here or there because I have a little more time since I'm, I'm getting through workouts eat better. Um, and as I increase calories, I'm looking at my work capacity. Like, damn, my work capacity is improving. I'm getting more volume done in a small amount of time. And then when you get closer to that maintenance point, you're like, hey, can I add another day of work in the gym? Could I be doing that more? And can I increase my step count? Because if I'm moving more naturally, it's not stressful to the body. It's actually really healthy and good for your heart, good for your longevity, good for your joints, good for your recovery in the gym, good for your cortisol levels. So we're going to benefit, which is going to be mean we're going to get more out of the diet just from this simple standpoint that we're recovering better. But then on top of that, if we can also increase volume by improving work capacity and maybe even adding an extra day in the gym, now all of a sudden we're really putting those calories to work by burning more calories through our need and through our workouts, as well as doing more muscular contractions throughout the week, which is literally going to absorb more carbohydrates and fuel to build more muscle tissue. Because that's why volume, more volume can lead to more growth. It's because you're just doing more muscle contractions. You're, you're telling your body to grow and build muscle more often. Um, and it's lean muscle. We're not building so much muscle that we're exploding and looking like a bodybuilder because that's not going to happen unless you're taking steroids. So during a reverse, if we can increase work capacity first and then slowly increase our volume by either adding another day and or adding sets throughout the week. And then last but not least, and this might even be the first step, increasing your knee and your steps throughout the day. I think that's the best way to train and adjust your training as you reverse diet. How to know when to hold calories and after you do, when to try and increase again. The, the way to know if you should hold calories or not is dependent on the individual and what their goal is. So if we're really set on maintaining, uh, then we want to try to maintain the weight. So we have to come to an agreement with the individual of what's acceptable for weight gain and explain to them uh, in a scientific manner what might be a non-negotiable acceptable amount. Meaning if I have somebody who's 150 pounds at the end of their diet and I'm like, hey, what's acceptable for weight gain during this reverse? But I'm going to let you know going into this that... <clears throat> You might gain two to three pounds and it's not fat. Two to three pounds is going to be more water storage in the muscle cell because you're consuming more carbs. Every one gram of carbs holds three to five grams of water, which means if we increase 50 grams of carbs, we're also increasing 150 to 500 grams, or I'm sorry, 150, 250 grams of water, which is going to add to weight. On top of that, water, carbs equals sodium. Sodium equals more water storage as well. It's all kind of this thing that's going to retain more water in the muscle cell, but it's not fat. It's good weight. And so this good weight is not a problem. Add to that, if we add however many calories, that's also food in your gut. So literally food volume in your, your digestive system is going to weigh down the scale, not only because there's actual food in there, but also we've got to remember that food and fiber pulls in water to the gut because water coming into the gut helps the gut do what it does. Water going to the muscle cell helps the muscle do what it does. So Water storage and water retention is not a bad thing. People have a bad look on it because uh, if you're holding water from cortisol, it's not the best thing, right? Because you're stressed out, so you're holding it subcutaneously and you're holding it in areas that makes you look watery and, and bloated. And obviously that doesn't feel good. But holding water in the gut or the muscle cell is just part of the process. So educating them on that first, right? So with that being said, is it's like, okay, how to know when to hold calories is when we go over that or we hit that too quickly. So if I make a small adjustment and you gain three pounds, I'm going to be like, whoa, okay, let's hold off real quick. Let's see what's going on. Let me cross our T's, dot our I's. Let me ask some questions. Let me ask if you've been hearing. Let's, let me ask about measuring. Did you add anything else? Did you add creatine? Did you add salt? Did you uh, not get sleep? Is stress higher? 
what are all the other factors? Because if there's other factors, then we can rule out the fact that the reverse diet's not working and we can say, this is actually because of X, Y, Z. Then we will increase when the weight calms down and subsides. So in other words, when the weight comes back down, when the weight gets back to where we're trying to maintain within the acceptable amount of weight gain, let's say it's one or two pounds, two, three pounds, whatever, then we increase again. Um, we don't want to increase that weight too quickly. And a lot of times what we'll see is, is an increase of weight and then a drop. So we'll, we'll adjust. We see our weight go up a pound or two, then it comes back down a pound or two. And then we adjust and it goes up a pound or two, and then it comes back down a pound or two, right? So over time, you might gain a few pounds, and that's the goal. But off of one adjustment, we shouldn't see it go up and stay up. So you really are just, you're basing uh, when you hold calories and how you adjust them up and down and when you do it again based on whether or not you're, you're sustaining that weight that you're actually after from a, uh, a sustainability and a maintenance perspective. All right, so the next question is, how long should a reverse diet last? And I kind of briefly mentioned this, um, but there's really no general black and white answer for this. Um, I would say 0.5 to one times as long as you were dieting for. So in the context of dieting for 12 weeks, it's going to be anywhere between six to 12 weeks. Uh, but there's always outliers. It, it ultimately depends on how somebody's body responds. It depends on how aggressive the diet was, how long the diet was, how well the adherence was to the diet. Because if you're not adhering, you're not really in a diet the whole time. There's a lot to it. So there's no black and white answer, but I would say generally speaking, 0.5 to one times is a safe bet. Okay, we got two more questions here. Uh, will a person gain less body fat when reverse dieting rather than increasing calories faster, such as the recovery diet? And the answer is, it depends. Um, and I kind of said this earlier, but ultimately, you're probably going to gain the same amount of weight as you would have, whether you went fast or slow. Obviously, if you go super fast, you're going to gain more weight immediately. Um, but we got to remember that your maintenance is your maintenance. So if you dieted and your new maintenance is 1,800, by the time you get to 1800, you're going to gain X amount of weight through water retention and food in your gut. If you go above 1800, it's going to be the same amount of weight gain. Regardless, just depends on how fast you want to gain that. So if you take three months to get to 2200 calories versus three weeks, it's a difference between gaining that weight over three months versus three weeks. If you go above your maintenance, you go above your maintenance. Now, if you're hyper-responding, if you're responding well by increasing meat and training when you increase calories, you might be able to mitigate that with a slow process, which is why, based on thermodynamics and the maintenance calories theory, I would say it doesn't really matter because if you go above maintenance, you go above maintenance, you're going to gain weight regardless. However, there is context to believe that G-flux is a real thing. So maybe if you go above it slowly and you increase activity while doing it, you might actually gain less body fat, but only if G-flux is present, which means only if you move more while you increase calories and eat more food. All right. And the last one for today is how do you know when your reverse diet should be done? The reverse diet should be done when you reach your predicted maintenance, your goal maintenance, um, or when you reach a point where you're satiated with food, your biofeedback is healthy, so your hormones, your health, your sleep, your recovery, uh, stress, cravings, hunger, those things have all improved. Any biofeedback markers that have declined during the diet have been fully restored, um, and you're eating enough food, you know, so... There's no right answer for this as well. There's no timeline here. It's, it's really when you feel good, you like your physique, and you're eating enough food to feel satiated and sustain your nutrition plan. You no longer feel like you're a quote-unquote 
dieting. All right, guys. Well, that's a wrap on the Reverse Diet FAQ podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a huge favor. Leave us a five-star rating review. And of course, share this with a friend anywhere you want to share it. Any way you do that, it helps us grow the podcast. It helps us help more people. And that's ultimately our goal, to get this message out to help more people completely free. Um, And last but not least, if you have any other questions about reverse dieting, check out the the links that we provide in the description or feel free to email me at Cody at TaylorCoachingMethod.com or click the Ask Boom Boom link in the description and ask me your question. 